Cheryl Field Smith is co-founder of Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars. She is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Theory and Practice at the University of Georgia. She is the most prolific researcher focused on black families who homeschool in the United States. She is author of numerous articles on homeschooling and author of Exploring Single Black Mothers' Resistance Through Homeschooling. Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is our first um, Black Family Home Educator and Scholars Tea Talk. We are here to focus on homeschooling of neurodiverse children. Um, just want to first tell you that this came about from the teach-in that we had last month. This was um, one of the themes that came out and one of the areas that we thought we would begin to um, try to address first. We will, we plan to do tea talks once a month. And so here we go. We have a wonderful um, panelist here who have agreed to um, talk to you. They have something to say about this topic. And this is a space where you can please um, offer your questions. You can um, send it to us via the chat and we will see it and put them in. But let me first begin by having our panelists introduce themselves. And we'll start with Coley. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Coley Aziza. I am a educator. Um, I've worked in uh, Prince George's County, which is in Maryland. Um, this is my 29th year. And I specialize in working in er with early childhood level students um, and also students that have special needs. Brandy. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Brandy Hennett Crawford. I am also an educator. Uh, I teach educational research at Western Carolina University. And I am also the mother of uh, eight-year-old twins who each have their own neurodiverse identities. My daughter is on the autism spectrum and my son has ADHD. Hello, um, my name is Phyllis Smith Asanyanbi. Um, I am a homeschooling um, mother. I have been homeschooling, um, I believe this is my 14th year. Um, I have a son who is on the autism spectrum. Um, and I think I bring a, a unique perspective to neurodiversity because I have adult ADHD and um, in the past 12 years or so, I also um, realized that I am on the autism spectrum. So uh, I, I think I have a unique perspective about all of this. And Joelle. Hi everyone, my name is Joelle Naomi and I'm the founder of Denver Independent School, which is an umbrella school for A through 12 home-based learners. And we have a particular focus on underrepresented groups and providing solutions to uh, helping those groups have access to their right to homeschool. Uh, we'll launch in three years, but in the meantime, we have an initiative called the Black Homeschooling Sustainability Initiative that specifically focuses on Black families and barriers that prevent our community from accessing their right to homeschool. Uh, I'm a homeschooling mama of two. I have a 16-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. We've been homeschooling not quite 14 years yet, but uh, I think we'll be entering our seventh year this year. Um, my daughter, she um, has been diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, math disability, and then also an unspecified form of a processing disorder. Uh, so we've had an interesting journey uh, allowing homeschooling to be a, a safe space to help her with her uh, particular needs. I can't hear you. What? 
after a while, like something, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> Did, were you able to hear everything I said? No, just the, what you just got through saying, I didn't hear. Oh, okay. Did anyone else hear me? I, I heard you. Oh, okay. So I, heard, I heard everything. Okay, okay. good. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we think about neurodiverse um, children, there, there are so many, they are diverse within themselves, aren't they? Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to get started by asking you, each of you on the panel, to think about one aspect of your teaching um, that you think would be helpful for other home educators to think about, to consider. You can jump in, and anybody can jump in. Well, I, I think that even, um, you know, when we talk about neurodiversity, like you said, there's so much diversity within neurodiversity. Um, with my um, son, and, you know, autism presents itself differently in different people, um, I found that he's, ve he's very visual, you know, but he can also learn in a variety of ways. So... I didn't have to just stick with the visual, you know, he's, he's an extremely good reader. Um, he um, is also, um, you know, kinesthetic learning. A lot of different things work for him at different times in his development. Um, what worked for him when he was um, younger wouldn't necessarily work for him now. He's a senior in high school. Um, he does a lot of independent um, study because that's what he prefers to do and it works well for him. Uh, when he was younger, um, I used to have, like for example, for math, we would always use Math UC, uh, which is a curriculum that worked well for him because you could move the, um, the different, um, I forget what you call them, but uh, movable pieces so you could actually see the math, you know, uh, as opposed to me just, you know, writing numbers on a board or him writing numbers. It just helped him with the math if he was able to visualize it. So I think it all depends on your, your child. Uh, you have to discover what works for them. And that may change as they, um, as they grow and develop. Yeah, I totally agree, Phyllis. It really, it really depends upon the child. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that um, has worked um, for me, in the, both in the classroom and then also offering it as a suggestion to parents, is breaking down a task into steps mm -hmm. for the students that need it. For example, I had a young man who, um, and it worked in the classroom for him, but at home, mom was having a, a terrible time <laughs> trying to get him to go to bed or, or, or to to complete the, the things that she needed him to do before he went to bed, brushing his teeth and so on. So, and so what we did was we broke down the tasks that she required for him to go to bed into steps. So first, and you know, and visually, we had pictures, one, and then a picture of what you wanted him to do, two, and then the next thing, three, you know, next thing until, you know, so let's say it's four, four things that led to what you wanted to finally be in bed. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that real mom was shocked. His mom was shocked at how, you know, she was reluctant. You know, I think she was like, yeah, whatever. It works in the classroom, but I don't know about it at home. And, mm -hmm. but once she did it, it worked like uh, just him seeing those pictures and pictures of him. So, I mean, for some children, the pictures could work, just a picture of somebody doing it. But it, to me, it works even better when you can actually take a picture of the child doing it. And it's something that can be done now that we have phones and, um, you know, we can take pictures. And, and so it, it's something that can be done. I think it would be, a, maybe not, everyone may not have the printers to do it and all that. But if you do, it, it really, really, really works. You know, you can, you can go to... Um places like CVS and make pictures really cheaply from your phone. Okay. Be, yeah, that would be great. It real, that really works breaking things down for, for certain children that really need to see it. Yeah. Uh -huh. We actually did that years ago um, when, when we were trying to potty train Elizabeth. We had pictures in a booklet of all the steps and we read it 
every day and it worked she's fine trying <laughs> so it worked yes yeah um but one of the things i would say that i do which is is i guess maybe not like a, a pedagogical technique but um just like you think about being culturally responsive and having representation of people from different backgrounds within your curricula also um, showing neurodiverse people or animals, because my kids are still small, within what we read. So um, we have um, a book that's like All My Stripes, which is about a little zebra who is talking about how his autism stripe is the one that everyone sees. We also have another one um, about Aspie girls. And um, as Phyllis said, Autism in particular presents itself so differently. So sometimes Elizabeth doesn't, you know, do the things that are, you know, characteristic of um, what you would see. But I think really driving home that, you know, neurodiversity is a, a, just another type of diversity. And there are people out there like you. You are not the only one who, you know, maybe awkward in a social setting or something like that. So just letting her know that she's not alone and that it is okay to be different. It's not something that you need to be ashamed of or that you need to, you know, try to hide. Um, and also we've really gone through um, having her specifically to be able to articulate you know, I'm on the autism spectrum. That means I process information differently to teach her how when she's in spaces where I'm not there or her brother's not there who for years was kind of her mouthpiece until we split them um, so that she can advocate for herself and what she needs. I think that's an important part um, of, of teaching her as well. I agree. It's very important, and especially as they get older, that they learn how to advocate for themselves. I had a real problem, you know, being a very overprotective mother. Um, uh, there were periods, most of my son's life, he has been homeschooled, but there were periods when he went to public school. And um, I remember him wanting to go walk to school by himself, or finally he had met a friend and he was walking to school with this um uh, friend uh, and the friend's father and family. It was on his. Uh, it was on his route to school, and I remember I used to literally like be way, way behind watching. I mean, it was like I, I had problems with letting go and letting him speak for himself. Um, my son is two e, so he's twice exceptional. Um, he, um, his, he wasn't diagnosed until he was eight. Okay, so that's that's pretty late. Um, but um, back then they had a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. Now they just like put it all under the umbrella of um, autism spectrum disorder. But um, what kind of overshadowed them being able to diagnose him correctly was because of his intelligence. So he compensates a lot with that. But I would just see other things and I just knew that some there were other issues going on. And once I found out, you know, what they were, it was like I became this like extremely overprotective um, mother to the point where at one point my pastor told me, he said, you're crippling him, you know, um, and I had to learn how to let go. And to allow him, because he even told me one time I said something, we were somewhere. And then when we got home, he's like, I could have answered that myself. <laughs> you know? So he was letting me know, you know, even though I don't like to talk very much, which he doesn't. And I, um, uh, maybe I don't speak up quickly enough for you. You don't have to always speak for me. He's an only child. So there were, there were no siblings. It was just me, me and my son. But yeah, they have to learn how to speak up for themselves and advocate for themselves. And he's learned how to do that once I learned how to, to let go a little bit, you know? Let me ask you all about your experiences help getting services from, do you do that from the school system 
are there laws do you know of or um, policies for to support your teaching that you can use as home educators or does that vary by state to state it varies by state to state i've done a lot of um research on um the Homeschool Legal Defense Association website. They actually, um, I don't know if they still have this, but they used to have it like listed, which states, um, like say if your child has special needs, in certain states and districts, you can still get services through the public schools. And, and some you, don't, you, you, you can't. Uh, where I live in Illinois at the time when my son was in public school, he was in, um, we were in Chicago, and when I pulled him out to homeschool him, I found out that I could still get some services. Like he went to, for example, he went, um, he had um, speech therapy for from the time he was three and a half until he was 12 through the public school system. Um, and um, that, that was the one service that I could get through, through them. Um, at one point, they offered a social skills group. I didn't think it met off en enough, so I um, I found a private one, um, and it was paid for by Medicaid because I didn't have any other insurance at the time. This was in Illinois, but I'm sure that what Medicaid uh, offers and what school districts and states offer, I know that that varies from state to state. Mm -hmm. I know for me, some of the families that I've worked with, uh, even currently, um, are just having a hard time, even though they have the right to get the help and the services, the schools are not set up to, to help facilitate that. And a lot of times they don't even know that they can, um, or they're pretending like they, they don't know, I'm not quite sure, but it has been a real fight. And I know for, for us, uh, when I first started homeschooling my daughter, she was in, um, in the public school system and I couldn't get her on, on an IEP until I got an official diagnosis from somewhere, but my health insurance didn't cover the testing. And then we couldn't afford it out of pocket. Um, and it was just a whole ordeal just to get her the help and the services that she needed. Um, so that, that's one of the main reasons that I think pushed us into uh, committing to the, the decision to homeschool. Um, so I think I really appreciate that question because I think that if we can really truly understand what our law permits, then we can feel more empowered to push back on the public schools to do what they're supposed to do if they're legally required to help. You made a, you made a really good point because I know that um, when I first um, pulled my son out of school to homeschool him, I was discouraged from doing it. Um, it, it, they, it, it, I got a lot of misinformation from the school telling me, you know, that this wasn't something, they first told me it wasn't something I could do because he had special needs, which I found out that that was not true because um, I did some research. And then it was a matter of, well, you know, he would just be a lot better off in school. Well, that that may have been true at some schools. I know I don't, I have nothing against public schools. I think that there are wonderful public schools and there are public schools that are not so great. Unfortunately, when the neighborhood that I lived in, um, when my son was uh, young, it just was not a good school. It, was, it wasn't a good school, you know? Um, and um, I just felt like I could do better with him. Um, and so, I, I pulled him out of school, got misinformation, but then I realized like, you know, with IEPs, with homeschooling, with anything that involves your child's education, you've got to do the research. You can't just uh, go by what somebody said, oh, well, someone told me that, you know, you could get these services or those services. Sometimes like when we're, we're members of online groups and so forth, we will get, somebody will post some information, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily apply to your state or your, your local school district. You have to do the research. It's really important. I can't emphasize it enough. 
you, you think about homeschooling your neurodiverse children, what have you learned about the setup or setting up the, the, the classroom? And, and Coley also, you know, what have you learned from your teaching experience that's important for the schooling environment itself? Well, I can say this because I actually, which I didn't mention, my niece um, is a neurodiverse learner and she's, um, I live with my sister and her children. And so um, one of the things I'll say for about my niece, she's actually 19. She just, she just made 19. She also, um, she's had the diagnosis of autism and also um, intellectual disability. So for her actually being at home was really, has, has really been better for her. We've really seen her blossom because the transitioning for her was just too much. There was so much going on for her going to school. And then she went to a program after school. And then eventually she got home. <laughs> and, it, and it was just too much for her. So the, the, the sort of reducing the transitions for her and her being at home has really um, helped for her. So um, pretty much we, we have been homeschooling her and that's worked a lot better. Not officially, but I would say um, pretty much my sister has taken that on. Yeah. Is your niece still in school? She is. She'll be until she's um, 21. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's still in school. I would say for us, having a learning environment that we're, where we believe that learning happens in and everywhere. So we have a classroom sitting in it and we use it if necessary, but we spend a lot of time um, schooling in various places, whether it's the coffee shop or the library or a nature walk or in the backyard or you know, going fishing and allowing just her everyday life experiences to be something that we turn into academic credit or academic value um, and, and to do it in a way that's really natural um, when we first started homeschooling, I definitely was trying to recreate the public school in the home because it's all that I knew. And um, once, I think also to your first question that you asked earlier, um, one of the things that's helped is letting go of the shoulds of education and of learning. So in order for you to learn X, Y, and Z, you should do it in this space, or you should do it using these books or this methodology. Um, and once I really started to let go of those shoulds and allow her to, to tell me um, what it is that she needed, where she found joy in learning, what she's interested in, um, then I just became a facilitator of that learning. And the more that we've let, let go of those shoulds, the more freedom we have found. Because at first it was definitely a fight um, and overwhelming and I felt in over my head. But I also knew that she wasn't getting the help that she needed in school. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Wow. I'd like to just follow up with something that Joelle said. Just in, in being a classroom teacher, one of the things that I learned where my children learn best is by taking them out of the classroom, like you said, going outside and doing things outside. Um, wherever we, like you said, wherever you can learn and in, also encouraging parents to, you know, wherever you take them, wherever you are, learning can go on. Um, but I spent a lot of time outside with my students and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a city girl. I'm like, you know, I don't even really like being outside that much, but that's how my students learn best. So if we need to go out there and, and plant and dig and do, you know, that's where they were learning. So. I, I totally agree with you. One of my favorite stories that I, I like to tell um, about my daughter, her name is Serenity. So um, when we first started homeschooling, she was in third grade and um, she just had a terrible time writing because of the dysgraphia. Um, and I had our little classroom set up and the whiteboard and I was trying to teach her, don't ask me why I was trying to teach a third grader how to write a five paragraph essay but I was, okay. <laughs> and so that was just difficult in and of itself, but just the, she just didn't like to write. So I thought, I thought that's what the issue was. Mm -hmm. But one day I was literally sitting on my bathroom floor crying because I just was like, I'm failing. I don't know what I'm doing. 
I'm going to ruin her academic life. Um, and I just had this inclination that we needed to take a drive to the sunflower fields. And we did. We took a, a drive down to the sunflower fields, and it's near the, our airport. And we sat on top of the car after we ran through the fields and uh, we're looking at the different bugs that we've never seen before, I had no idea those things existed and all the different petals in the, in the sunflowers and just all the, the things, right? Um, and we went and we laid on top of the car and we counted, we tried to count from zero to 100 as fast as we could in between planes landing. Um, and so she had a difficult time, you know, I think counting past 30. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was fun, you know, we'd be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, eight, right? And so when we would get to 31 and she didn't know what was next, then, you know, I would help her say it with her and it, it became a game. And then the plane would come and we'd go, oh, we have to start again. And uh, when I came, when we came back home, so at the time my son was actually in public school, um, I needed to go pick him up and I, I left her there. And when I came back, she had written on her own volition of her own volition a poem about our day out in the sunflower field and it, I actually have it framed because that's how impactful it was I cannot tell you the level of tears and just drama trying to get her to write something um, but I that taught me that number one she needs to be inspired by experience mm -hmm. that when she feels connected to me and to her environment, she feels safe uh, to be herself, and that learning needed to be on her terms. And that's okay, um, because at the end of the day, she ended up writing. And so we've been able to build momentum on that, where today, I mean, like this last semester, she came to me and said, I want to write a paper on feminism. Okay. 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 <laughs> Yes, and she wrote it, and it's wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> yes, that is wonderful. Oh, I love that. Does anyone else have lived experiences that of success that we can um, share and uplift? <laughs> well, my, you know, my son, um, he's still in high school. Um, it's taken extra time to homeschool him. Um, he doesn't have an intellectual disability, but he has sort of, um, like a lot of people on the spectrum, uh, they have what doctors call comorbidities. I just call them challenges. You know, they might have some something else going on, like depression or anxiety or OCD type behavior or whatever. And so, you know, I, I kind of, at one point, I felt like, I don't understand why it's taking him extra time you know he's so smart but then I thought about well if he was in public school he would have the extra time they would give him until he was 21 to finish high school that according to the IEP he had had when he was in um, public school but my son kind of like through the years he taught me how to teach him you know I, I started off like um, when I first thought about homeschooling I really didn't think I could do it on my own so um, I tried using the Chicago virtual charter school. They were using the K-12 curriculum and he just was not going to sit there at that computer. <laughs> he was like in first grade. He told me this is boring. You know, he, he's very vocal when it comes to things he doesn't like. Um, and so then I, you know, tried the school at home approach that didn't work very well. Um, and I sort of just became an eclectic homeschooler using what would work for him at the time. And, and that's when I began to realize, like um, uh, Dr. Sheryl said, there's a lot of diversity within neurodiversity. You know, you think of some uh, autistic people or people who have autism, I like to, 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 to word it that way, that they're not very social. Well, my son, he was in a sense social. You know, he wanted to be around other kids. And I'm like, how am I gonna do this? Homeschooling him, he's an only child we were not at home a lot. I mean, you know, community programs, dance classes. I remember taking him to Biddy basketball, taking him to programs at the library, taking him where he, um, he learned how to play chess when he was eight. 
and taking him where he could play chess with other kids. He just, he taught me what he needed, you know, other than academics, just by, you know, it, not that he talks a lot, but he would just express how he felt. Oh, I'm bored or, you know, um, where are the other kids? <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he had had a preschool, uh, pre-K uh, public school experience, and he had also attended um, kindergarten, a private school for kindergarten. So he knew what a classroom setting was like. Um, he expressed that he had social needs. And so I'm like, I have to find a way to for him to be able to fulfill those needs. And, um, you know, I would say he's 20 now. Okay, and he's finishing his last year of high school. And um, he is, things are just so different. You know, I remember when he was diagnosed and I was literally, I was in tears. And the doctor um, who diagnosed him had a daughter who had Asperger's syndrome. And he told me, you have to understand, Miss um, Asanyambi, the way things look today isn't the way that they're going to look 10 years from now, you know, your son's going to grow, he's going to develop, he's going to progress. He said the same thing for children who might have autism and an intellectual disability. We all grow, we all develop, you know, um, I would say that, that my son has turned out to be a very, um, I don't know, he's just like the super intellectual person. He's always got his head in a book, okay? Um, always reading, you know, about he has like some very specific interests, which a lot of people on the spectrum do, including myself. He's always reading about philosophy and um, theology. And, um, he, you know, he ta taught himself Latin. <laughs> I mean, just because he wanted to learn it. Um, you know, he's just, it, I just think of all the things that we went through, you know, when he was younger, the acting out, the, you know, he would slam his body against the wall. You know, I would have to, they call it sensory seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think of all those things and the kind of young man that he is now. Um, it's It's been a long journey and a lot of it, it didn't happen in homeschool. I use professionals, you know, took my son to what they call, um, they called it play therapy. Well, it was, it was behavior therapy. You know, um, he had occupational therapy. He had speech therapy. I mean, just because you're homeschooling doesn't mean that you can do everything at home, okay? His experiences with children at, um, we would go to the library just so he could be with the kids after school and he would play Minecraft with them and Roblox and he was really good at it and he would teach them how to get better. And they were like, oh, you know, David's the expert at this or that. And I mean, that made him feel good about himself. I mean, we used everything. Um, it wasn't just us staying at home. Yeah, the academics, that's very important, but the social emotional learning is very important for, it's, it's important for what we call um, neurotypical kids who don't have um, neurodiversity. And it's, and it's very important for neurodiverse children to learn all these things, how to get along with people and how to be around other people and how to, you know, it, it, we just learned so much outside of home. And a lot of it was, a lot of professionals helped me. You know, even when my son, uh, part of the reason he had speech therapy was he had an articulation disorder. Um, also, he had issues with pragmatics. And um, I mean, the speech therapist would give me the exercise, like, we'll do this with him at home to help him to pronounce his SH and uh, sounds and, and, and practice this with him. And um, they just gave me a lot of tips and I got a lot of help from professionals. Mm -hmm. I'd like to, um, oh, sorry. You're good. Um, I like to, to echo what you're saying. I need to first clarify and say this is gonna be my first year homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So I am brand new. Um, but I too have been capitalizing on professionals. Um, my daughter has kind of, she's exited speech therapy, but we have a cognitive behavioral therapist, which we were 
referred to through our doctor. And depending on what your child is dealing with, if you can get um, referrals to these specialists, and sometimes your insurance will cover them. Or whereas with our cognitive behavioral therapist, we have a, a small copay, which I think is totally worth it for the um, exercises she does with Elizabeth. And when I started having these issues with my son, even though this therapist wasn't seeing my th son, she gave me insights on what steps to go next. And so, and if you, if you can find one, they're, they're not, well, I'm sure you all can find them easier than I can because you all are in more metropolitan areas um, than rural Appalachia. But having a developmental pediatrician can often point you in um, directions of, of not only speech pathologists and behavioral therapists, but those who have expertise working with children. And like you said, they often give you tasks to do at home to help um, cultivate those different skills and abilities and whatnot. And so that is, and, and I would also say while there has been great support um, from within the school, when we were in public school, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say anything disparaging about the good folks working in that space, but the people I've dealt with outside of that space have been maybe a little bit better. That's what I'll say. So. Okay. Randy, when you say a developmental pediatrician, I've never heard that. Like, what does that mean? So here in Asheville, we, well, I don't live in Asheville. I live in a rural area. But in Asheville, we have the Olsen Health Center that has a whole battery of pediatricians who are experts in developmental disorders and delays. And so in addition to helping um, just general pediatric things, they kind of, well, we're going to send them for this hearing test or we're going to send them for X, Y, and Z. And often the pediatricians and so like we have a, a general pediatrician, she will say, you know what, let's send you to the Huff Center where these folks are, are the real experts on these things. So um, it just, they have a, a, an eye where if, if you're suspecting something like Tourette's or autism or something that the regular pediatrician doesn't think they have the capacity to address these pediatricians, or, or I'm sure they're physicians too, but I only know about the pediatric side, right. um, are kind of like, that's their specialty. Yeah. Like if they were a cardi, cardiac right. or something. So. Mm -hmm. okay. That's a good thing. Get it. I get it now. <laughs> um, Khadijah Toms asked if we could discuss transition services and resource options for homeschool students ages 18 to 21 years old? Okay. Um, I, I took my son when he was about, let's see, 16. is when He was 16 when we moved from Chicago to a small town in um, Illinois. And I kept thinking, well, you know, what about transition? You know, what about transitioning? What about, um, you know, his furthering his education, those kinds of things. So I took him to the Office of Vocational, it's called Vocational Rehabilitation Services. And so um, they tested my son um, and he worked with a lady about, uh, um, she was helping him like narrow down things about career choices, what he might want to do after he finishes high school and um it it gave him some insight because he kind of was like you know all over the place um my son's an artist um professional artist and he also he, he can do a lot of different things and so um it, you know we worked with those people and they're like well when he finishes high school just come bring him back to us 
and they're going to help pay for all of his education if he decides to go to college. Or they said if he wanted to go to some type of um, like vocational pro program, perhaps like maybe he might not want to go to college. If he wants to go and take up some kind of training, that they're also there for him. So I, I, I think that um, if you are homeschooling, you, you, you may need some help with transitioning. I know that in public schools, I believe that they help children with transitioning. They start that process when they're maybe like 14 or so. Um, because you do, you do have to think about the point at which, you know, your child becomes an adult and based on their um, ability, what they can and can't do, you know, so I, the vocational rehabilitation helped me with that. And I felt like a lot of things, um, he accepted them more readily coming from someone other than me. <laughs> Of course, you know, when they get to be a certain age, they're like that. But uh, I'm, I mean, all teenagers. Um, and it made him think about, you know, what, what he wanted, wanted to do with his future. And he decided that um, he would go to community college. And then after that, he would transfer to a four-year university. But of course, all, you know, what, whatever your child decides to do or wants to do, you know, it has to be based, of course, in reality on what their what their capabilities and potential are. You're muted. Who's muted? Uh, Dr. Cheryl. She's oh, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness, it's a lot to keep up with here. Okay. It is. Um, Rhonda McKnight wanted to know how old your son was when you took him to the vocational rehab. Uh, my son was uh, 16. Okay. Yeah, I thought that that was um, a, a good age because I had started asking him things like, you know, have you thought, <laughs> you know, I've been asking for some years. Um, and at one point, it was like all he would talk about is he wanted to go to art school. Um, you know, he's a really good artist. He sold his first two pieces when he was 11 years old. And, um, you know, but then, like, but he kind of like, when he got 14, he was 14 when he sort of, he didn't lose interest in the art, but he just started like branching off with other things. Like, you know, I want to try, you know, to learn coding. I want to do this. I want to do So I'm like, have you thought about what you want to do when you finish um, high school? And he's like, well, I'm just not, I'm not sure. And I just felt like somebody else could maybe help him. You know, I, like I said, the testing where they show, what you're good at and, you know, talking to somebody other than me, because it can't just be mom all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. So he was 16. Mm -hmm. Is vocational um, and rehabilitation yeah. services a, a government program or is it through a non-government uh, non organization? I, I, I believe it's a government program. Okay. Um, I, I will I will find out more about that and I will post it to um, the the um, BFHES um, resource group so other people will know. I will definitely do that. Thank you. Let's talk about sustainability. How do we um, continue to support parents who are homeschooling neurodiverse students? What are some ideas? Are there support groups that you go to? Are there other spaces in Facebook? Do we need to create one? <laughs> well, I did ask my sister before I got on here to give me a um, group that she has gone to. And she said, and I don't know if any of the other, uh, if the parents here or educators um, have gone to the One World Center for Autism. She gave me that um, that organization and she said that they've really been helpful um, for her with getting parent support and they also offer um, respite care or ideas about where you can get respite care for your children so um, I said let me just you know just go straight to to the mama <laughs> in the house and ask her and she said the One World Center for Autism it's actually here in Prince George's County in Lanham Lanham Maryland but she said that, you know, they offer support, you know, information for everyone. 
any other thoughts of how to sustain? I would say that when I was finally able to get my daughter diagnosed, it was through the children's hospital. And um, unfortunately though, there was an 18 month wait list. And so I appreciate this question just because for a year and a half and even longer than that, when I first started homeschooling, I had no idea how to, how to help her. I knew that there was something going on, but I didn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't diagnose her. I, I didn't know what the issue was. Um, once we got the diagnosis and, and the evaluation, we were kind of left with, well, this is what this is. And here's some suggestions for curriculum, but that's as far as it went. Um, and so it wasn't until we attended a homeschooling conference and heard um, a lady there by the name of Diane Kraft uh, speak uh, about exactly what we needed to hear. Um, she, she talks about le left brain dominant learners versus right brain dominant learners and um, has a company that does evaluations for your child and learning plans and all of that. Um, but I, I bring up the homeschooling conference because it was there that my whole world opened up to the fact that I wasn't the only one um, with a child that was struggling and other resources that were, um, that were out there for support. You know, I had to think a little bit because I, I remember um, when I started homeschooling my son, you have to think it was, okay, 2006 or so. Um, I remember trying to find um, a homeschool support group. Now, this is before my son's diagnosis. Um, I knew that there were things that were amiss, but I could not put my finger on them. Okay. Um, sort of like what you were saying, um, Joyelle. It was like, okay, I know that there's something that's um, atypical, but I'm not sure what it is. Um, so I had tried to I'd find homeschool support groups. I couldn't not find a group that fit. Um, there were not a lot of um, spaces um, that included very many um, black people because most of the homeschooling groups, they were not in Chicago, which is where I lived at the time. They were like in the suburbs. And so we would travel a long way to go to these places. Um, my son just didn't, didn't fit in. Um, finally, I found a group in a, um, a near northern suburb of Chicago called Homeschooling Gifted Students. Um, he fit in there quite well, but then I was concerned. I'm like, we're the only uh, black faces here. You know, what I mean, I wanted my son to be around people who who look like him, and also not just around people who had the same, um, uh, say, IQ. But you need to get a you need to 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 associate with all kinds of people because that's what the world consists of. You know, not everyone is white. Not everyone. Uh, is gifted in the sense of IQ. Um, you need to learn how to live in this world. And so I didn't, I didn't find a lot with homeschool support. I just started using community resources um, because I, I came to the conclusion, well, he doesn't necessarily have to be around other homeschooled kids. He just needs to be around other kids. So that's when I started, you know, like in Chicago, they had a lot of after school programs um, that the public and private school kids would go to. I would, I would let him, you know, I would take him, you know. Um, and I, I felt like we got a lot of support through some of those, um, I would say non-traditional places. You know, the library was a great source of um, uh, support in that they had a lot of programs where he could just, he, he went to social skills groups. I wanted him to exercise his social skills. I'm like, he's, he's going to need, he's going to need to know how to do these things when he grows up. And so that, that worked out quite well. But I think as far as online, um, I, I, I think it might be helpful to create something, yeah. you know, um, I was thinking about, I, I moderate um, African-American single parent homeschoolers and um, it's a Facebook group. I was thinking about polling people to see if that's something that they'd be interested in. Try it. Let's do it. Let's see. I will. I will be in touch with you. Um, 
Did, are there Khadija um, Ali Coleman, Dr. Khadija Ali Coleman asked us about if there's any particular um, apps or resources, materials that have really been um, invaluable to you as you're thinking about working with um, you know, neuro neurodiverse children in particular. I did want to mention um, two sites, um, Autism Class, Autism, AutismClassroomResources.com. Okay. And there's another site, um, TeachersPayTeachers.com. So they offer a lot of different things, but the teachers pay teachers. But specifically for our neurodiverse students, um, they offer visual schedules oh. that you can download, mm -hmm. um, something called a first then board for some of our young people who have difficulty with transitioning. Um, a task analysis, which is what I was talking about, where you take someone through the steps of an activity, and also social stories for our young people who have difficulty with um, communication and socializing. It can, it, or at least give you an idea, because you can make your own social story up um, about, you know, getting along, playing with your friends, but you can get a sense of what all those things are, and then create your own, or if you like what's there, you can just download it. I remember using, um, have you ever heard of this, Coley, um, Carol Gray Social Stories book? I think it was the author's name was Carol Gray. Do you? Do I've never, I've never yeah. heard of Carol Gray, yeah. But she wrote, really well. right, she wrote these social stories, and I thought about it, you could write your own social stories, but, your own, yeah. mm -hmm, but it helped my son a lot to, like, prepare him, like, he had huge problems with transitions, when he was younger. I mean, it was just like, he would go into meltdowns about transitions. He would go, I mean, it would just, it was just a bad scene. And so, but if I could prepare him for like the barbershop or the library or the restaurant, and that's what these social stories do. They, they like let the kids know what's going to happen mm -hmm. basically step by step. And that reduces a lot of the anxiety. I remember using those when he was younger, the social mm -hmm. stories. And I, I also remember, like you were talking about before, about the parent um, who was trying to get their child to do things before bed. I remember one of my therapists um, created a, it was like a huge key ring and it had pictures on it. And we would put the pictures in the order of the things he needed mm -hmm. to do during the yeah. day. And um, I, I thought it was very helpful. I'm like, wow, I had never thought of, of doing anything like this because I would just have so many problems with, he was like a creature of habit, you know, and if things just went, did not go according to plan, oh my gosh, you know, the day might not be so good, <laughs> you know, for, for me or for him. But um, the doing things in order, the pictures, and we would just have all these pictures on a key ring, like from what you do from morning mm -hmm. until night, all mm -hmm. in order. Mm -hmm. um, Rhonda McKnight shared that her son, who is 14, has been going to the Teenage Conversation Club that's available on OutSchool, and mm -hmm. he had great success with that. So that's another, um, out school is another source. I had never heard of that, the Teenage Conversation Club. That sounds really good. It does. Um, and the second, the second website that you talked about, Phyllis, was Teacher Pay Teachers. I think um, Coley mentioned that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Teacherspayteachers.com, but you'd have to look up specifically the visual schedules, first then board, task analysis, those specific things that I mentioned, and then you can find it because they have all kinds of things on there. But the autismclassroomresources.com, they have all those things. When you go on there, you'll see them right away. And Rhonda McKnight shared that um, she's on her phone right now listening to us, but um, she will share the link to the Teenage Conversation Club. She said the facilitator is black, which of course she loves. So that's really a really good for us. Oh, that's, that's really good. Yeah. I, when my son was younger, I found it so hard to find um, um, black professionals. And at one point we found a 
um, a black therapist, a black male therapist for him. I was, I was elated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned, um, oh, go ahead, Joelle. I'm just going to say, I mentioned uh, meeting Diane Kraft at a homeschool conference and uh, she has the right brain learning system, which tremendously helped us. Um, and if you go to her website, dianecraft.org, she has um, her system there, but she also has a lot of information that's up there for free. So articles that you can search by topic and it gives you step-by-step -step suggestions on what you can do um, in your learning environment. And then of course, I would actually recommend her, her services. One of the things that was really a game changer for us is that not only did she put together a learning plan that catered to my daughter as a right brain dominant learner, but we also added a nutritional piece to it. So we had um, supplements that we took for over the course of 12 weeks and it was, it was a whole thing. And I could see um, immediate changes in attention, her ability to focus, um, her ability to remember, her ability to process. Um, if, and anytime that we haven't done the supplements, I can see the difference. Um, and so along with that, what I wanna say too though, is that you asked earlier, like what are the resources in, for uh, sustainability? And I think I would like to see more conversations with funders um, to think, to open their minds around providing more grants and scholarships to homeschooled families in general, but also to have this population in mind as well. Because when, at least for us, when we weren't able to get the services that we needed through the public school or through our health insurance, I had to pay for these things out of pocket. And it, it can be expensive, especially with the supplements. Uh, we, we ended up spending a lot of money. So it was an extreme sacrifice. And um, I would search for scholarships and we just didn't fit the bill. You know, maybe there's something out there, but we, we just didn't meet all the criteria. And um, I don't know if anybody else knows of any out there, but I just had a really hard time finding scholarships that were specifically for homeschoolers yeah. um, and students that are dealing with um, a variety of neurodiverse, um, neurodiversity. Um, and then lastly, I was just going to say also that I have found, uh, Phyllis, you mentioned the, um, the, on the key ring that you would have for mm. your son. I did the same thing with my daughter and it just didn't work because I realized that she really actually needed me to walk throughout the day with mm. her. Okay. So it's like getting up, let's go to the bathroom and brush our teeth together. I still use the cards to so brush mm -hmm. through. Um, and I even included cards that had like positive affirmations, like you got this. Okay, let's. Read yes. This <laughs> um, but when I when I expected her to say, you know, here, go do that, it didn't it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I just want to encourage parents out there that it's okay. Um, what we might call hand holding, which I don't completely get that that term, but I think it's relationship building and feeling like you have someone there with you um, every step of the way, and that helps you remember because of the. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, our kids are so different. You know what I'm saying? It's like we, when we talk about that diversity within neurodiversity, um, sometimes it, I, get, I used to get upset when people would just say special needs kids because I'm like, well, what does that mean? I mean, you know, it, it, that encompasses a whole lot. Intellectual disability, dysgraphia, dys, dyslexia, autism, ADHD, and it's sort of like people um, sometimes just want to put all of the children into one pot, so to speak, you know, oh, yo, he has special needs. Well, what are his needs? Or she has special needs. What are the special needs? You know what I'm saying? It's just like um, sort of people use it as like a catch-all phrase. Um, and and I, I, I never liked that because I'm like, it's not... Um, it's not specific enough, you know? I don't like it either because I think it others our children. Yes. It's because everybody has needs. Right. And they're all different from each other. And so, right. Yeah. I, I have special needs. You have special needs. I mean, we all yeah. have special needs, right? Totally, yeah. I think that we all have special needs. And yes. Being in the classroom, whether you have an IEP or you don't have an IEP, everybody has their own special needs including the adults, <laughs> you know, the administrators, everybody, <laughs> parents. We all have something about us that's 
unique and wonderful and we have our strengths and we have our our, our things that we need a little extra help with that's very you know? true uh -huh. when i was teaching um elementary school we had um the special education teacher would push into the classroom and we would plan together and what we found was whatever she was doing with the children she was supposed to be seeing really helped a lot of the other children. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just good teaching, right? To mm -hmm. meet those unique needs of kids. So, you know, you, sometimes you couldn't tell who, who was who in the classroom because she was teaching me how to reach children, other children too. So very that's the whole thing with universal design. When you teach to those at the margins, you will always capture those who are not. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, we are at the point of three o'clock and um, any final words? I, I, I cannot thank you all enough for sharing the wisdom that you had with us today. Anything that we didn't discuss that you wish we had? I don't have any final words, but... Um, I would just like to throw out a couple of other resources. Okay, great. Um, the Teach Center from UNC Chapel Hill and the Market Center in Atlanta, those are both um, centers that support children with autism. But just like uh, Joyelle said, you know, they have these long waiting lists and you have to, you know, wait months and months and months a lot of times before you can get into these places. And um, I don't want to, you know, elevate one app over another, but uh, Freckle is a good one for little kids that um, differentiate and adapt to the level where the child is. And as the parent or the teacher, you can um, kind of say, well, you know, I want them to focus on X, Y, or Z. And I, I, say that cautiously because I don't want anyone to go, you know, get their kid an iPad and say, hey, do this app for an hour. But, you know, yeah. as a supplement um, to other things, Freckle and its various, you know, partners um, could be useful. The thing with Freckle is, though, it's free, whereas like Adapted Mind and some of the others cost. Oh, I, I wanted to mention, you, you mentioned Adapted Mind. I don't know if they still have scholarships, but they used to. I remember I got one from them. Um, what I would do as a homeschooler, my situation was, was very different uh, when my son was young than it is now. I was very poor, okay? I was homeschooling through abject poverty. Um, and um, I was a divorced parent um, with 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 just doing everything solo. And so what I would do, like if I wanted a particular curriculum for my son, um, I would write to the company um, because I was like piecemealing together working from home. And part of the work that I did was a writer. It was a while before it became lucrative uh, when I was writing articles online. Uh, but I would um, tell them, you know, if you will uh, give me your curriculum, I will write a review. Okay. So, so this is how I would get curriculum for my son because I couldn't afford it. Um, in later years, I went back to school. You know, I got a degree. I, I'm a teacher myself, but I teach adults. Uh, English is a second language. So, I mean, I just would, I was like, there's got to be a way that I can get this. If I found something that it looked like that he, uh, that it would work for him, I'm like, I'm just going to write these people and ask them. You know, or can I get a scholarship or can I, can I write a review and, um, you know, if you will give me the curriculum and it worked. Wow. That's yes. A idea. Oh, I hate to end this, but we really, we've gone past an hour. Um, but again, I, I want to thank you. We will, um, Phyllis, keep thinking about if we need a separate place. I will. To support um, families of neurodiverse children who are homeschooling, and um, we'll get these all of the. I think um, Dr. Khadija has been doing a great job of posting things on the Facebook. I was afraid to touch the Facebook, y'all, because when we were doing those lives, when I touched the Facebook, it messed everything up. So, okay. <laughs> but um, we will post the um, 
some of the, the all these resources up on that Facebook resource group. <laughs> okay. And, um, I want to thank you again for our first tea talk for participating, and this was a great success. I some of the comments in the Facebook, um, they're just they're saying it's great and thanking you, and so I want to thank you as well. And um, please enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thank you for you too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.